if you look at any self-help category on Amazon or you go into those uh, areas of your local bookstore, you can't help but notice the myriad of choices that offer to address a very common human condition, that of discontentment with our present state and our present lives. Many of them offer great wisdom. You know, the best-selling offers like Dale Carnegie or um, uh, Brene Brown or Stephen Covey or even the Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle who offer a, a variety of different philosophies of how to address this issue. Many of them focus on our lives in the present and look to the past and say, what can we learn from that to move us forward? There's a certain wisdom to that, I think, that we should all take. And it's often scary to consider the decisions that we make now that might impact our future. What if we pick the wrong field of study? What if we applied to the wrong schools? What if we hitched a ride for an internship with the wrong congressperson? As you read about the shutdown, some federal workers question whether they made the wrong decision to stay in public service when the private sector might offer better pay and no shutdowns. But the Christian story offers a different wisdom for life. We do look to our past, but the story of our lives isn't the only story to draw from. There's another story of another person that deeply transforms ours. And as we look to the future, followers of Jesus don't look to the kind of story that we want to write only for ourselves. There's another story being written, or that has been written already. And it's a story that we are folded into through our relationship with the living God. We're opening up a new sermon series on the Gospel of John called This Future Life. The Gospel of John, written by John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, is someone who spent his life mulling deeply over what Jesus said and what he did. The opening words that we heard Carol read today hearken back to the creation account in Genesis, where human beings are the climax of creation. And here in John chapter 1, the climax is the arrival of one particular being, referred to as the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. So in Christ, we are given an idea of what it means to be fully human, with God himself literally embracing humanity himself by stepping into our flesh. We get a glimpse of what true humanity looks like. It looks like life. It looks like light. In Christ, we begin to see the kind of life that is possible that our hearts innately yearn for, a life full of love, full of joy and wellness, a life full of intimacy, a life unencumbered by shame and regrets, a life of sacrificial giving. As the Gospel of John unfolds, we see that though Jesus, the light of life, enters into the world, there's a problem. His people don't recognize him. That's the central problem to the Gospel, and it's a central problem to our lives as well. God's people, including ourselves, prefer darkness to light, even when the purest and brightest light is in our midst. In today's message, the opening chapter of John's gospel gives 
us a snapshot of how being seen and called by Jesus enables us to move towards our future with great freedom and with great trust. And through this passage, we're going to see how we each are called by Jesus, we're called to Jesus, and we're called for Jesus. Called by Jesus, called to Jesus, and called for Jesus. Although it isn't the case for us all the time, many people find tremendous work uh, reward in the work that they do. In a sense, we might feel called to a, particularly, a particular field of work. Now, I miss, must admit that this really is a first-world problem, as most people in the world work because they just have to survive. But for those of us living in the first world, we hope that we can look forward to the work that we do. We want to feel that what we do matters. We want our work day to look like this, right? Where you're high-fiving, things are happy, things are firing on all cylinders. Now, you might not work, um, only do your work because of the pay. You might be willing to sacrifice for the work you do because it matters to you. You feel like it fits you. In one sense, people may describe their work as a calling. Another word for this is vocation. Often much of our anxiety in life comes from feeling that our work doesn't quite fit who we are. This week, we met with Ashley's counselor to get an overview of her academics and plans for college, something that I think Meg has just completed that process of doing, right? It seems kind of overwhelming for a young person to think of what they might be committing to in the coming years and dealing with the stress of standardized exams and uh, picking potential schools that might set you on a career trajectory. And then you actually have to apply for the schools and figure out your funding options after that. It seems like from the very onset of adulthood, you're thrown onto this maze of conveyor belts and you better pick the right one or you might miss your calling. But the sense of calling here that Jesus presents is quite different. We're not primarily called to a career. We're not primarily called to a philosophy or a religion or a way of life. We're not called to an ideal or an ideology. We're primarily called by a person. And this is life-giving. This is life-changing. In John 1, we see a number of people who are called by Jesus. For each one... Jesus acknowledges their unique personhood, their unique wiring and circumstances. At the direction of John the Baptist, when he tells them to look upon Jesus passing by them, two disciples, one of them is named Andrew, begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns and calls them to spend an evening with them, saying, come and see. And before he does this, he asks a question of these two disciples. He says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? This question is a means of grace through which Jesus invites us to consider and invites those two disciples to consider what they are really looking for in life to become fully human. And just like in the garden, when the living God approaches Adam and Eve, when they are hiding in their sin, he asks them, where are you? He asks these two disciples, what are you looking for? What do you want? When Andrew invites his brother to meet Jesus, we're told Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. When Philip, the third 
interaction, invites his friend Nathaniel to meet Jesus. Jesus calls Nathaniel differently. In verse 47, we hear, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus saw Andrew and the other disciple. Jesus looked at Simon, soon to be named Peter. Jesus saw Nathanael approaching. In Jesus, we have this ultimate human being, the living God in the flesh, moved into our neighborhood, not hiding in some place far off to be found through our moral excellence or through our religious fervor. He enters into the lives of these people and sees them for who they are. He calls them by seeing them, looking at them, but not only does he see them where they're at, he sees them where they will be, what they will become. We're often anxious trying to see our future. When our future arrives in the present and it doesn't turn out to be the future that we had envisioned, we find it easily to be, easy to be depressed. When we are one of the few people who are considered essential services but aren't paid for our work, there's a sense of devaluing. When our personhood isn't seen by someone, we feel less than human. When we are forgotten or looked over, our humanity is diminished. For those who have been on the streets struggling with homelessness, one of the most common laments is being looked over and ignored, not seeing, being seen as a human. To know that we are called by the living God gives us incredible assurance. We aren't called by a job or a philosophy. We aren't called by a lifestyle. We are called by a person, a person who sees us for who we are even more. He sees whom we might become in the future. And this person who calls us is infinitely wise and infinitely good. We are called by Jesus, the living God in the flesh. But we are also called to Jesus, My sister and my dad are Jeremy Lin fans. He's an Asian-American basketball player with the Atlanta Hawks basketball team. So when my sister was in town over the Christmas holidays and saw that the Hawks were coming to play the Wizards, we made it a date to catch the game. And little did we know, but the last-minute tickets that we got were beside the tunnel of the visiting team at, at the Capital One Arena. So before each half, we got to see Jeremy Lin doing his warm-up on an exercise bike just like 20 feet away from us. And that is really Jeremy Lin. So here's a, here's a zoom. And that's not a tumor on his back. It's like a, a heat pack. You know, fans were all trying to get his attention whenever he came over there. But he's a pro, so he kept his eyes focused on the game in front of him. Now imagine if he turned around and said, what do you want? People would be clamoring to get their jerseys and, and, and photos signed, and they would be say, hey, can I have a selfie with you? They'd be asking for his jersey and his shoes so he had nothing to wear on the court. They'd ask him where he's staying in town. Now imagine if he or your favorite athlete, whoever that might be, were at a game and says, well, come and see. That's an invitation to a relationship. And that's what Jesus does for Andrew and the other disciple when he says to his invitation, come and you will see. Come and see is not just a theological explanation but it's an invitation to himself. In Greek, the, the tenses of the statement say literally, come and you will see. 
It's an invitation, but it's also a promise. He doesn't answer their question, actually, when he's asked, what do you want? It's like, well, where are you saying? Come and you will see. Simply, it's a gracious invitation to come and see who he is and what it looks like to live as Jesus does. It's a courteous, it's a human invitation. It's not dismissive of their question, nor is it invasive and imposing. They spend the afternoon and evening with Jesus. We don't know what they talked about or what they saw, but anyone who spends a whole evening from 4 p.m. all the way through the night gets a good idea of the person they're spending with, time with. They met in a home, probably had a meal together, talked and shared life together, and that led them to become a committed disciple of Jesus. What's a disciple? A disciple is a student following the ways of a teacher. And there is an inherent trust and giving over of yourself to the teacher, allowing the teacher to form you into the kind of person that he sees in you. Our contemporary culture doesn't do disciple well. We like mentors. We like counselors or coaches. Those are less commitment. There's less of a giving over of yourself to your teacher. In a world that's suspicious of power plays and wary of becoming an unintended participant in an abusive relationship, entrusting yourself to another can be scary. But here, Jesus, the wise teacher, is loving and generous. He's kind and pure because he's God. And he steps into our neighborhood and extends an invitation to himself. In this future, in this future life series, we're responding to Jesus' own invitation to come and see what life is like with him. Come and see is an invitation from the living God of the universe to find belonging in him. Doesn't much of our anxiety in life come from not knowing where we belong? It starts very early when we're in our childhood, when we're one of the final kids to be picked for teams, team games at lunchtime. It continues into our adulthood. When we start a new job or move into a new neighborhood, who will really see us for who we are and who will invite us in? Come and see is a generous invitation of belonging, of friendship, of acceptance that is powerful and forming. And when it's extended by the living God of the universe, it is safe. We can come and see Jesus exactly as we are, with whatever hang-ups we have. And the beautiful safety of that invitation of belonging allows us to be transformed by him. So we don't stay where we are. Unlike all other humans, Jesus doesn't wait for us to call him. He calls us first. And he invites us to come and see. And some of you here today, or maybe you're listening online, because Jesus has been calling you. You're not quite sure what that relationship with him looks like yet. But the fact that you're listening, or the fact that you're inquiring, is a sign that Jesus has been calling you. To come and follow in his ways of journeying through life here in our time on earth. Henry Nouwen is a respected 
Dutch priest, or was a respected Dutch priest and professor who left success in academia and spent his final years serving and living amongst people with developmental disabilities. And he comments on this calling to Jesus, and it's up on the screen here. He says, in other words, first, we must call people to communion with God, to intimacy with God, to a sense of belonging. Most people are lost, confused, alienated. They suffer and struggle immensely in our relationships. We have to proclaim loudly and clearly in our actions and in our words that God loves us and that we belong to him. You know, growing up with my father, who was a pastor of a small church, family church, our lives revolved around church life. And as a college student, I was active in the music ministry at the church and leading this youth ministry as well. And even as I began my career as an engineer, serving God in the church was just an important part of how I lived out my faith in Jesus. And eventually, after some discernment and wise counsel from people who knew me well, I felt led to switch careers and begin training as a pastor. I continued to be busy in serving him, but it took some God moments to remind me of who I was called to. I wasn't called merely to the church or to the campus ministry that I served with, or even music ministry. And looking back, amidst all of my serious, sincere busyness for God, was an underground desire to try and make something of myself, to prove myself, to be liked. I wasn't called to any of these particular things primarily for my sense of identity, though. Through divine moments of God's grace, I was reminded that I was called to a person, And that person's name was Jesus. And during that time, I was attending a charismatic and Pentecostal churches. I experienced an incredible uh, warmth of God's love in prayer and in musical worship. I had this notion of a mysterious and emotional awareness of God's presence in in those times. In other times of my life, I've experienced a deep sense of his love and acceptance of me through the contemplative practices of meditation and scripture reading. These are quieter, less visible on the outside, but just as powerful and forming in hearing God's invitation to himself. The living God uses many different opportunities for us to know him and the reality of his presence. So I invite you to participate in some of the events that we do in in the life of our community here to nurture and deepen this relationship with Jesus. We're planning some of our more liturgical events as we approach the Lent season and a Salah retreat, contemplative retreat, in the coming months. These are events to help deepen our relationship with Jesus so we can hear how we are called to him. So watch for those opportunities as they are announced in the coming weeks. We are called by Jesus, we are called to Jesus, and lastly, we are called for Jesus. Upon meeting Jesus, we see in these quick interactions how the excitement of the disciples is quickly shared in various degrees of influence. John the Baptist preaches to crowds. He says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And people respond. Andrew turns Uh, after meeting Jesus, goes back home and finds his brother Simon, who soon becomes Peter. He goes to his family relationships and tells them, we found the Messiah. Philip 
turns to his friend Nathaniel and goes and finds his friend and tells him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Their relationship with Jesus called them, that Jesus called them to, is also a calling for Jesus. Those called to Jesus find themselves on a mission to find others for Jesus. Note the word find itself. If you trace it through those few verses, between verses 41 and 45, it's repeated five times. To be called for him is to be on the mission of finding where he is not already experienced in the lives of those around us. Where is the reign of God's peace and joy and freedom and reconciliation not evident in the world around us? When we go into those places and relationships to invite people to come and see this God-man named Jesus, we are living in this call for Jesus. Notice what is absent in these interactions here. There's no clear conversion experience. There's no altar call prayer. Not that these can't be done, of course. Just invitations to come and see this person named Jesus. In being called for him, we're not responsible for the responses of those we invite. We're just called to be for Jesus and to point others towards him by inviting others into our lives together with Jesus. These invitations that are extended aren't tinged with guilt or manipulation. There's no inauthentic interaction in these meetings. You see ordinary people in ordinary circumstances meeting this person named Jesus. For us, as we sit here thinking, where is the presence of Jesus not known in the world around us? It could be in our families. It could be in our friendships and our neighbors. When we invite people to come and see who Jesus is. We invite them into conversation and to consider different ways of looking at the world around us in light of the living God stepping into our midst. We could be called for Jesus in our wider culture at large, too. Just this weekend alone, the past two days, we witnessed marches on the National Mall to raise awareness for injustice against the unborn, injustices against women, injustices against uh, indigenous uh, people groups and Native Americans. As those called to Jesus, we can invite others to come and see how friendship with the living God informs how we approach these issues of social justice in our world. On this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, where we remember the legacy of one particular Jesus follower who called out areas in our nation and society where injustice and inequality existed and still continue to exist along racial lines. Towards the end of his life, after his early efforts led to the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. said he'd, be, he'd been to the mountaintop and he'd seen what is possible. And now in a, in a message to a New York church addressing the Vietnam War, he says the following, Now let us begin. Now let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world. The long and beautiful, a bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man, though complex and imperfect, like all of us, who saw the world in light of what he understood of the living God. 
and what was possible in light of knowing him. And he lived out his convictions boldly, calling the, the fu- <coughs> excuse me, calling the future as he saw it into the present. When John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Jesus as he passed by, little did he know that they would become Jesus' closest disciples and the future of Jesus' followers depended on their witness, the witness of these 12 individuals. And when Andrew invited his brother to come and see Jesus, little did he know that his brother Simon Peter would become the key founder of the church today to find others in relationships and in society has eternal consequences that we might not see in the immediate moment. So how will we respond to this future life offered by Jesus? In knowing that we are called by Jesus, we can begin living this future life now. In knowing that we are called to Jesus, we find the deepest sense of assurance and belonging ever offered. In knowing that we are called for Jesus, we know that what we do matters, especially when we do it in his name and for his name. We know that we are called by Jesus and called to Jesus and called for Jesus. When we know that deeply, we find that this life endeavor will be ultimately rewarding and significant. And in friendship with Jesus, we find that our future life has already come to us and will continue to come to us now. May it be in our lives and in this community. Amen.